says, get that India, big boy. Hello, my name is 4020, also known as John. Welcome back to a special edition of the Tip Sheet. Uh, joining me as always is my good mate, 60s. 60s, always a pleasure to have you on board, champ. How are you doing? Mate, I'm doing well, and it's always a pleasure to be able to bring a bit of news and info to our fellow Eels supporters, and basically that's what we're looking to do today. And like I said, it is a special edition, uh, special edition not edition, of the Tip Sheet. So I'm going to let you take over and throw it over to our guest, mate. Followers of the Cumberland Thrower are aware of the content that we dedicate to Parramatta Eels Pathway Systems. And this year on the Cumberland Throw, we're presenting a series of feature articles that we've called Parastories, with the aim of raising awareness of the importance of rugby league and junior rugby league in our community. And we're pleased this week to be able to speak with Parramatta Eels Pathways and Participation Manager, Matt Brady. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, boys, for having me. Uh, can you, first of all, give us a bit of an idea of the scope of your role as Pathways and Participation Manager? Uh, no worries. The, uh, Pathways and Participation Manager, basically that role now looks after the governance and logistics and organisational structures within the development programs. That includes the junior leagues, so the under sixes all the way through to open age footy then takes into account the development squads, junior representative squads, so our 14s, 15s, um, onto Harold Matz, Estuary, Ball, Kasha Gale, Jersey Flag under 21s programs, and then into the knockout cup, um, knock-on effect cup, I should say, um, which was the old Canterbury Cup, um, now under the New South Wales Rugby League. That's that's quite a... a, um, a diverse or, or an extensive um, portfolio there to look after. Yeah, it's a fairly large, fairly large role. Um, it's an exciting role, an enjoyable role to be able to look at how we can develop and transition the players that have their, their goals when they first start playing at the very lower levels um, through the mini and mod footy to, to get all the way through, um, hopefully being able to eventually one day debut for the Eels. Now, Matt, we often hear how big the Parramatta area is in terms of rugby league, but geographically, what is the exact size of the Parramatta Junior League catchment area? Um, well, I guess at the moment, like geographically where we do play is that we have obviously the Mount Pritchard's uh, Cabramatta right in the very south um, of our footprint, and that stretches all the way up as we go through to the very northern part at the moment. Um, of Rouse Hill, Kellyville, um, that's sitting right at the top in the, the north. Um, but our actual geographical footprint, while it covers that, um, we have the five councils, um, uh, six councils, sorry, that are in there, Parramatta, uh, Parramatta Blacktown, Hills, Cumberland, um, Fairfield and Liverpool Council that we have fields in. But the geographical footprint keeps going all the way out to Wiseman's Ferry. So there's probably over half of our geographical footprint that's uninhabited at the moment as we continue to go north. Um, and I suppose that northwest corridor of 
um, through the hills as it keeps going north is a fast, pretty fast growing area. Um, so we'll continue to develop and probably have further teams as councils continue to um, subdivide and, and put in amenities as it population grows. That, that sorry, <laughs> just had a little bit of a coughing fit there. Um, that that's actually a, a good point, isn't it? That the area that's in the northwest of um, the uh, of our catchment area is a real growth area at the moment. Well, well it is, and, and a lot of people probably think you know by us having our centre of excellence and facility that we have based at Kellyville now that we're so far north within our geographical footprint. I mean, it's only what, 15, 20 minutes and we're at back in the heart of Parramatta um, where our fantastic stadium that we play at Bank West is. But when you look at the geographical footprint and the growth of, of where we, we're going to continue to grow over the next you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years plus, um, our district goes all the way to Wiseland Surrey. There's a, a heck of a lot of land that's out there that's not even been subdivided yet. So um, in future generations, there'll be a, a lot of players, we believe, that'll come from that area. So currently, how many clubs make up the Parramatta District Junior Rugby League? So we have 31 clubs um, that are part of the Junior League. So you have 20, uh, the 22 that um, uh, traditionally were in there, and then there's the nine that came across in which was the old convent competition that has actually come in underneath the, the junior rugby league competition now. Um, so they're, they're all based within the, the junior footprint now. Um, and we have a couple of them that are, have got teams that are playing in the, the league tag, um, league tag plus the, the girls or the, the open format as well. So Southwest Sharks, for instance, they're playing in the under-20s and they've got an open-age team in there as well now. Um, so it's a fantastic way of looking at as we can continue to grow junior footy. Um, we want to look for ways that, that are unique and, and provide a place for kids to play. The Eels were famously founded in 1947, but in terms of the local clubs, can you give us a bit of an idea how long some of the older clubs have been around and on the flip side, how uh, what year some of the more recent clubs have been founded in? Um, oh, look, I guess some of the, the more recent ones um, that have been around for, for 10 years um, is probably the, the more recent, just over the 10-year the sort of threshold, the Rouse Hill Rhinos. Um, uh, they're fairly fairly young, young club in regards to that. Um, but then you're looking at some of their older ones like the um, the Wenties and... and um, Cabramatta, um, Maryland, so looking at celebrating, I believe, this year is a century. I'd have to double-check, um, but I think they're pretty close from memory. To, um, uh, they're either celebrating it from last year where they got couldn't because of COVID to, to this year. So we've got clubs that have been around for quite some time. So almost, I mean, obviously rugby league goes a little bit far, further back past the foundation era for the NRL clubs or what, what are now NRL clubs, but it's a long, long time out west, isn't it? It is. It is quite a long time that they've, they've been participating. And even when you look through, um, I'd have to double-check our club championship trophy, to be honest, but there's clubs that were out in Penrith, for instance, that were competing within our junior league too before um, the Penrith district was formed. Um, you know, and, and obviously they carved off 
parts to form Penrith that were part of Parramatta, just as they did when they formed Parramatta. Um, that we were competing, obviously, with some of our clubs within a, the the Sydney competition, I guess. Yeah, I actually re- remember my uh, well, my father's spoken to me quite a few times about when he was playing back in the it would have been the late. 40s, early 50s, A grade, nay reserve, that the competition used to stretch in across that area and it used to be divided into east and west and then it, uh, they'd have their own grand finals and have to come together for like a Super Bowl grand final yeah. between the different Conference v. Divisions. Conference, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's it. Well, it was quite a vast geographical area. I think there's the odd program that's floating around too with some of the... Um, uh, the the clubs that competed in the final series back then. So um, I, I think I think our uh, our good friend uh, Jeff might have a, a couple of those tucked in his collection. So um, just now, just back to the present day, uh, Matt. How many registered junior players are there within our uh, junior league at the moment? Uh, presently, we sit at five five thousand one hundred players. Um, so we're only uh, just um, just over 380-odd players away from where we were in 2019. Um, we've passed already where we had, obviously, in 2020, which has been a bit of a hiccup um, for, for everyone. Um, but from our point of view, we were looking at if we could get to within 95% of um, the numbers that we had in 2019, then we'd be having a pretty good year. Um, and I, I, I think we'll actually we'll equal or better um, by the time registrations close off for the 2019 numbers. Well, that leads really nicely into my question because I was going to talk about junior participation rates. Um, has COVID and other factors hurt them? But given what you're saying now, I suppose not, that the, the rates are still going up despite all those uh, factors that could otherwise be impacting them. Oh, no, I think the, uh, it made it a challenge, no question. And there were a lot of kids that were and parents that were keen to, to, to register as soon as they could for, for this season because they wanted to get back out there and play. Um, you know, we had half a dozen odd clubs that didn't participate last year because of COVID, um, which made it a bit of a challenge. Um, and they were unsure about, you know, whether they could or how they would do it. And, um, so, but when you look at that from from where we sit now, there's they've all come back to participate this year and are looking at regrowing and, and, and regathering a foothold within the community to be able to start to play rugby league again. Um, and participation rates across the state are actually up compared to where they were in 2019 already. Um, you know, so we've got more players across the state of New South Wales playing than what we did in 2019. That's pretty amazing. Which you is think about it. Which are positive signs. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and, and like I said, we're, we're literally, we're, we're less than um, 8% off of where we need to be um, already um, for 2019 total numbers. Um, so that's a good sign. But just zeroing in on a specific area of the participation is, um, is the female participation. Uh, last year, we'll cut for coming into this year's Tasha Gale season, there was a record number of girls that trialled for the Eels Tasha Gale team. 
So what's happening in the district with female participation? Um, great question. They're, they're, they're growing. Um, I probably should say that they've, they've held at the moment. We're, we're literally, uh, we're only one or two players in the female space off the total numbers that we had um, of 2019 um, already. There's um, a good groundswell of, of players that are starting to come out of the, the junior leagues where they can play up to 12 in mixed comps. So they can play with the boys and at 12, once they get to 13, they've got to then go into an all-girls competition um, under the, the rules that regulate rugby league for contact sports. Um, we then look at seeing where our, our numbers have grown over the past half a dozen years to we first started and had four or five teams of under 15s that were playing nine aside. Um, when they first started in 2015 or 2016, I think it was, where we started to get our own girls' competitions going. Um, and that slowly um, slowly increased now to um, the point where we, we probably could have enough teams to be able to maintain and play within the Parramatta district for girls. It's just the, the development of some teams and girls are, um, are more skillful than some of the others. So to be able to play with the girls in the New South Wales combined conference competition format, it gives them divisions to be able to play um, that will help them continue to grow. Um, and I think with some of the girls coming through now that will look to be able to be uh, in the selection mix for Tasha Gale in the 2022 season, there's some really exciting prospects of these girls that have... Um, that have come through and they've been playing rugby league since they were um, sort of six years of age, six, seven, eight years of age. Um, and they've grown up playing it just like the boys have. So um, from a girl's perspective or a female participation perspective, it's looking very exciting. And what you touched on there too about um, playing against competition that's appropriate uh, within the girls' uh, competition. So you don't want to have girls that are highly skilled playing against girls that are, are not so highly skilled. And that obviously that's something that's been looked at over the years with the boys with having their different divisions within a, a particular age group. So you, you don't get kids who are discouraged by playing against others who are just a, a bit bigger, a bit stronger, a bit more skilled, that it's as much about participation as it is about development. Well, that's the, the biggest thing you look at with players when they they leave a sport is that um, and and regardless of, of whether they're um, they're adults or kids um, they leave because they they don't enjoy it and and yeah. they don't enjoy the experience and you want to play a competition and and it's not so much the distance or whatever for parents to travel they'll be happy to travel and players will be happy to travel provided they can find the right balance for them to play in um, and they can find a game that is on par for their skill and their ability to play. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think the, um, you find that the, the girls' competition has started to grow. And even that's been seen, that's been shown when we, we moved our A grades out to be able to play in the combined conference competitions as well that we play with Western Canterbury. They've got the different levels that are there, and by having those different levels, we've actually seen numbers increase in those um, in those groups as well to, for the 
um, both the guys and the um, open women's to be able to play because they find that there's a, a level that they can play at and they can enjoy playing the game. It's uh, been well documented that COVID presented challenges that have never been faced before to rugby league at all levels. But when we're talking about junior leagues in specific, what other challenges do they face and overcome every year in order to field their teams? Oh, I think it's the, the the finding of the players um, can at times be a challenge, but their biggest challenge is probably in in regards to having volunteers help to run um, run the teams. You know, they need coaches, they need managers, trainers um, to to be able to help them and run the. Um, to run the team, they then need volunteers to be able to help set up, pack up on game days. And it doesn't matter whether you're a, a club that's got, you know, two teams or three teams that are playing or a club that's got 40 teams. They The challenges are still exactly the same. They're just magnified, that's all. Um, and you, you're always finding that it'll be the same people um, that'll set up on game day, pack up afterwards, Um and it, that's probably the toughest, um, the toughest part for clubs is, is finding people to help them do it. Um, and it kind of falls to the, the same people that are there um, week in, week out. And I actually jumped in and vultured 60's question there. So I'll just uh, jump back to a question that probably runs in Crowley to that. You're talking about people, sort of the community come together to help these clubs stay alive. And the need for the community to, you know, engage in that regard. How important are these clubs to those communities uh, in a symbiotic relationship? I suppose. Oh, it's a it's a massive, um, massive part of the community and and resource that they provide um, to communities. By you know, you're teaching young players um, so many of the life skills that they get out of it from you know learning to be in part of a team and involved in teamwork and the camaraderie of, of playing a game with your mates and, and working towards something. Um, so they learn to be able to uh, to get perspective in life in regards to, you know, uh, what am I what am I doing today? How can I how can I improve to get to the goal that we've got? Um, I'm working with my teammates. I'm, I'm doing things. So you learn so many of, of the important life skills about being involved in a team. Um, and these clubs get to be able to provide some fantastic resources for these kids to be able to, to do it with a game that they love. Um, so, you know, junior sport um, is a fantastic one to be part of, regardless of the sport, first and foremost. But I think one of the things that we have in regards to rugby league is that whether it be tag, touch, tackle, like it's, um, it encompasses the, the the vast community. So whether you whether you want to play contact or non-contact versions of our game, we have a format that's there for them, um, and they can experience that, and they can experience the joy that rugby league brings to to kids of all ages. Yes, um, speaking from someone that played a lot of club footy back on the mid north coast when I was a young and. The, the social side of it, as much as anything, is just so huge for a young kid being able to, you know, come into a group of kids that isn't always just from your school circle, but from, you know, like the local district and you're, you're playing against, you're playing with kids that you'd otherwise be playing against uh, in that school competition. So it's a such a fantastic outlet for a, a young boy or a young girl now to, um, to grow up 
socially and also in terms of uh, you know physically as well. And it's when they start to, uh, I guess, uh, you start to see it when they get to, to those teenage years as well, when they start to get that little bit older, they start to get to know, I guess, the players that they've been playing against for a while. And and, and you start to perform, uh, start to, to notice some friendships and, and that, that they, they develop out of that because they know they're going to play these kids or they know that they're you know, we've got the Rousel that's going to play against the um, the Mounties, you know, and even though that they're so geographically far apart, they get to know the players that are down there. And, um, so it's a really good good perspective to watch and see that. learn. And then when they come into development programs with us, they start to form new friendships and bonds and get to know these people on a different level again as well. Um, so with the... Really good. With the importance of these clubs to communities, what sort of assistance is provided to them to, to help them make ends meet and to get players on the field and teams on the field and people involved? I mean, the, the greatest um, level of support uh, would obviously come from um, the Parramatta Leafs Club, uh, first and foremost. There's um, just the... The level of input and what they do and provide to to the district is second to none. Um, you know, they, the club grants that they give out to um, the junior league each year, which helps a, a range of different things, which um, other districts would have to fund themselves. And, and whether that be the the actual junior league association or the the, the clubs would have to fund um, out of player registrations. Um, it is massive, you know, our our leagues club that provides for us that covers referees fees and covers um, the insurance fees for, for players from 18s down. Um, you know, they, the clubs can then put that funding into to getting um, to gear for the kids, to uh, the different things that they need to provide along the way. Um, from not only their playing gear, training gear, um, tackle bags, or all these kind of things, balls, um, it all comes from from funding that the Leafs Club's able to provide for us. So um, that would be a massive drain um, on the junior clubs um, if they had to actually provide that as well. So, And I imagine that would extend to the the families as well, the, the financially, because I, I have heard of, instances where it was very hard for some young sports people to play particular sports because of the cost of registration and mm. equipment and all, all sorts of things so um, it, it would push the cost up sorry to jump in there it would push the cost up um, immensely to to be able to play um, yep irrespective of, of what it was and um, that's what I say like when you're looking at you've got um, an organisation like uh, Paramount Leagues Club which is giving us the funding in club grant format that covers all your referees fees so um, the referees are, are covered you're covering the insurance fees that that, that extend to it so um, they're massive amounts of, of um, when you've got five over five thousand like we'll, we'll we should go if we're, we hold true. We should go over five and a half thousand players playing in um, playing in a competition this year. Um, and you think about how many games you're going to cover for that. Um, 
uh, how, uh, every single player. So, yeah, it's massive. Yeah. The next question we've got is um, something we actually spoke about earlier in the year, but I'm really keen to get a follow-up on this. But uh, we had a bit of an overhaul on the Pathways Development Squads in 2021, with players from junior clubs being allocated to north and south geographical regions and identified players training in squads closer to their homes. Uh, it seems like this was not just good practical solutions, but also reaffirmed the importance of all clubs as part of Paris Elite Pathways. Has there been a positive response to that change, mate? I, th- I think definitely a, a positive response. Um, you know, it's it's again as we we look at our district, as I mentioned previously. You know, we, we stretch as far as Wiseman's Ferry, for instance. Um, but when you think about, you know, we, we've we've always had our development programs, and whether they used to be like the old summer coaching school and, and different things, we, we were always very centrally located to to have to do that. Um, but as we continue to grow, we look at it and think, well, it makes far more sense for us to be able to then look at saying, you know, let's have our north and south um, in development programs. Well, we don't have to have them travel as far. Um, that's that's first. It makes it really easy for um, for parents to be able to get the players there to be able to train. It also enables us to then duplicate and 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 double the size of what we're taking in. So if we were to take in 30 kids into a development program, now all of a sudden we can take 60 into that age group and we can stretch it and have it across and north and south. Um, so, yes, yeah, a very positive um, positive response to, to being able to look at, at structuring that. Um, as that continues to grow and, and develop, I, I think those programs will get even better moving forward. So... Now looking at moving forward, what exciting things are on the horizon for junior football in the Parramatta district? Oh, look, I think the um, first and foremost is that we try and get through Touchwood a a full season um, this year compared to to last year. Um, It looks like we, you know, by all accounts, that that will be the case. we're looking at the fact that we've got the, uh, I guess, the development squads, you know, they had a taste of, like we said, north and south. Um, they'll get some more game time, actual game time and some more training again through the middle of the season. Uh, well, I did see them, them back uh, in again. play against uh, the Sharks over at uh, Guildford recently, which was good to yes. see. Yeah, so that was that was more of our, our under-16. So, again, it's trying to find the the balance of where we can get to because the junior rep age groups obviously changed. Yeah. Um, so it left a little bit of a, um, a question mark around that 16 age group um, when obviously they went to Harold Matts being 17. So um, we looked at catering for that and, and a few few districts did something very similar. Um, so we were able to get out them to play against the Sharks in regards to that. Um, we're, we're just formulating and finalising some some concepts where we can get the those 14s and 15s to, to train again through the mid-season and then into some games. Um, and again, that will look to be something that, that will further with the New South Wales Rugby League and also other districts to be able to, to look at how our development programs run. Um, and again, then looking to, to step that into um, to the female space as well, so that we can look to be able to provide development programs for um, 
for the the uh, the 14, 15s and 16, 17s age groups in the um, in the female space, so that they've got some development leading into Tasha Gale as well. So not just coming straight from playing junior footy, that we can then start to put in some programs and um, coaching around developing those players, so that they've got a pathway. Because um, you know we're we're very keen to be able to see that hopefully the Eels are one of the clubs that are considered for an NRLW license. So. Yep. That obviously adds some other challenges, which becomes a, a really exciting piece for the Parramatta Reels moving forward. Um, when you actually, when you think about the um, Tasha Gale competition, that that's only been around for five years, only only finished four competitions, and compare that to the, the flag and the SG ball that's been around for over fifty years. Uh, I think it's. Um, an exciting time for anyone that's involved and participating in uh, the uh, the Tasha Gale and the female pathways. I think it's uh, it is very exciting, and and the fact that you know in our district alone we have three um, three teams competing in the Harvey Norman Women's competition, uh, Nannies, Cabra, and Wendy. Um, you know that's an exciting prospect as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're quite a strong district. And even from a, a viewpoint of looking at those that compete in the Sydney Shield Ron Massey competitions, you know, we have four clubs that are this year um, competing in those. Um, from Mounties, Cabra, Hills District and, and Wentworthville. Um, previously, obviously, Guildford did. Um, they elected not to this year and, and last year due to COVID. Uh, so, um, but when you look at a district, and I don't believe there's another district out there that has that many clubs that compete at those levels either. Um, it just goes to show that the the strength of what the Parramatta district has, um, which I guess is 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 the 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 foundations of that come through from junior participation. Absolutely. Uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be able to connect fans with the people that make the Parramatta Rules hum along, Matt. And for you giving us your time today, we are greatly appreciative. Um, it's been a nice and illuminating talk on the state of Parramatta Juniors uh, below the representative level, which is what we tend to cover on a week-to-week basis. And it's always great to hear about how the district is travelling and how healthy it is. So uh, thanks for giving us your time, Matt. I appreciate your time. It's been enjoyable. Thank you. And, uh, thanks, mate. Yeah, for those that are listening, that was Matt Brady from the Parramatta Eels, and like I said, massively appreciative of him giving his giving us his time today. We'll see you guys later.